you are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. Good morning. My name is Erica, and I'll be reading the scripture for today. It is John 21, 15 through 25. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the type of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Awesome. Thanks, Erica. Well, that's the end of the book of John. That's how John's gospel ends, by saying this is just some of the stuff that he did. These are some of the words that he spoke, that we could fill books and rooms and the whole world is not enough room to say of all of what Jesus did. So I don't know if in the room anybody was like a server in another life or currently everyone had, anybody have a job of like serving in a restaurant sometime? Okay, a couple of us. So if you've done that, you know there's two kinds of conversation, right? There's conversation during the meal And then there's conversation after the meal. When the server comes and takes the plates away, the stack of plates, they stack them right so well. And um, Michaela was a server um, before uh, we got married. And so when we go out to eat somewhere, we stack the plates real nice because we know that's like a big, big hang-up. That's really annoying. You're trying to like get all the napkins that are stuck close to the syrup. And it's just a big mess. You do all of that. And then you get to have after-meal conversation. And that's what this moment is. After they had finished eating. After they had finished eating what? Remember, from two weeks ago, the disciples are fishing. 
right? And they've fished all night long, and they don't come up with anything at all. And Jesus is calling to them on the shore, like, throw it on the other side. So they throw their nets on the other side, and there's more fish caught than they can even imagine. Their nets are full. And we hear that Peter takes his robe, puts it back on, and jumps into the water and swims 100 yards to Jesus. And I always imagine the disciples being like, this dude always acts this way around Jesus. Like he's always working, right, to like separate himself from the rest of us. So they haul all the fish in and, and then Jesus is the chef. Jesus is cooking breakfast for them and he says, hey, come and have breakfast. This is the second part of that narrative that John writes down for us. And they've eaten this meal. This is the couple who goes out on a first date, and they have nervous conversation while they're eating, and then the plates are gone, and then they have nervous conversation after all of that, or you're having a meal with uh, your family for your birthday, and they take the plates away, and you're having conversation, and the, and the server's paying attention to when maybe you're finished up, right? And then they give nice little hints. They might come to your table and say, is there anything else I can get for you? You want more water? That's code for like, hey, would you get out of here? Because there's another, there's some people waiting. And you didn't tip very much. And so I'm trying to like make a living here, right? The disciples and Jesus have this moment too. It was so interesting. I misunderstood this story for a long time. I always thought that the story takes place in the presence of like all of the disciples. And I always thought like how awkward. Because everybody knows what happened to Peter. Everybody knows, like if you have spent time in the scriptures, you know and understand Peter had an opportunity to stand up for Jesus, and he didn't. Like he's gathered around a different kind of campfire in a different kind of moment. And there's some different people who say, like, hey, like, aren't you, weren't you a part of, like, his group of followers, disciples? And Peter's like, oh, no, I don't, I don't know him. I don't even know the guy. Not only was I not a part of that movement. I don't even know who you're talking about. That's the moment that Peter has been in. And now he's in this different kind of moment. He's back with the disciples, isn't he? I always thought that's kind of how that happened, but if you look at verse 20, it's not how this happens at all. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. So the disciple who Jesus loved can't follow them if they're all sitting together. So I think John wants us to understand this is a private conversation between Jesus and Peter. It's outside the direct presence of the disciples. And, and maybe it's Peter and it's Jesus walking along the, the beach, the, the Sea of Galilee with the waves crashing upon the shore, and then John's sort of following them. And we shouldn't think of John like with his notebook, like, like recording all of this, right? But he's kind of where Jesus is, that's where John is. That's kind of how it works out, especially in this book, in this narrative. And John says that when they had finished eating, it's important to know that Jesus had already had a conversation with Peter about 
that night about what had happened. We know that because of Luke 24, and we know that because of 1 Corinthians 15. And it's so interesting to me what Jesus doesn't ask. I mean, we'll get to this. He asks, hey, do you love me? Which is a question that takes a lot of vulnerability. I don't know how many times in your, in your life if you've asked someone like, hey, do you love me? But it's a vulnerable question. It's a question with a lot of risk. It's a question with a lot of exposure. But the question that he doesn't ask Peter Like, what in the world were you thinking? Like, what were you thinking with, like, distancing yourself from me in that moment? Like, the moment that I needed you most, you were furthest away. He doesn't ask him that. You ever notice he doesn't ask him ever if he's sorry? How important is that for us when someone's hurt us? Like, are you sorry for what you did? He doesn't ask him, like, hey, are you, will you promise to never do that again? He doesn't ask him, like, hey, where were you? Like, when I was at the, the moments before my death, like, you were nowhere to be found. Where on earth were you? He doesn't ask him any of those questions. There's this Scottish theologian that I really like, and his name's Alexander McLaren, and he says this, Jesus Christ asks each one of us not for obedience primarily, not for repentance, not for vows, not for conduct, but for a heart. And that being given, all of the rest will follow. So we're not supposed to see, he wants to say, obedience, repentance, vows, conduct, as outside of our hearts. But this is what happens when your heart is given to Jesus. When you are a worshiper of God, obedience is a part of that. Repentance is a part of that. Vows and conduct are all a part of that. So Jesus says to Peter, do you truly love me more than these? And if you ask me, I've always been like, more than these what? You've read this story. More than these what? The, The word in Greek is this word tutu. And it means these, but in the original language, it's, it's kind of classified um, as a, a genitive of comparison, which all of that means for us is that John wants us to know that some things are being compared. Do you love me more than these? And there's a couple options. Like option number one, do you, some people will say, no, he's talking about fish. Do you love me more than these fish or these nets? And it sounds silly, I know. But we need to understand, like, this was a way of life. This was more than an occupation. This was more than a job for Peter and the disciples. This was what they had given their lives to. And there's some of us in the room who love what we get to do. Like, there's a lot of joy that we get from the job that we've been given. Others of us maybe have that to a lesser degree. That's part of life. That's the reason it's called work and not play. It's why we have the weekend. Do you love me more than these? So that's one option some people say. I've never found that to be satisfying. Uh, Is he saying, do you love me more than these disciples? 
Like, do you love the disciples or do you love me? That's another option. I've not felt that was very satisfying either. Well, get to what you actually think. Okay, I will. Number three, do you love these disciples? Do you love me more than the disciples love me? And that's what I think he's asking. And why is he asking that? Because Peter is in a habit of placing himself on a stage in the presence of Jesus. Like, he's the one to, like, raise his hand. He doesn't just raise his hand calmly. He's the kid in the back of the class who goes like this, right? Any teachers have that? Student? It's like, just put your hand down. Peter had worked hard to stand out from the group. I want to show you a couple times and places when he does this. Maybe I, maybe he doesn't want to do it. Chad, will you help me? Matthew chapter 14. When Jesus is, is walking on the water, Peter calls out like, Jesus, tell me to come to you. Like, choose me. Call me out on the water. And so Jesus does. And Peter doesn't even like get a step and he sinks. In Matthew chapter 16, is another moment, and Jesus is having a conversation with the disciples, and he's saying, hey, here's the plan. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to kill me. Don't be surprised when we go to Jerusalem for the Passover, and they arrest me, and they put me on a cross. Don't be like, I did not see that one coming. That's the plan. And what does Peter say? Never, Lord. I'll never allow them to do that to you. That's never going to happen. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. It's an intense way of saying, get out of the way. It's a moment where we see that Jesus is serious about his mission. He's serious about what he has come to do. And nobody and no thing is getting in the way of it. That's moment number two. Then we have another moment. This is again in Matthew 26. And this is when he has a sword in the garden and he swings the sword against Malchus, the servant of the high priest, and cuts his ear off. No other disciple is recorded as having a sword and having the gumption to do that. This is another example of Peter who has distance himself from the disciples. He's worked to stand out from the group. Mark chapter 9. They're on this hike, we can call it, the Mount of Transfiguration. It's this incredible worship service where we hear that, that Jesus is transfigured before them. And there's all of these other people there from the Old Testament. Moses is there. Elijah is there. It's this incredible moment, and Peter's like, hey, let's stay here forever. Let's build some towers. Let's build some monuments. Like, this is the church camp moment where it's like, let's never leave church camp. And when I was a youth pastor, we would talk about this all the time, that we're never going, we're not going back home. We would like, I would like the kids to understand we're going forward home. So we're not going back to the way things were. We're moving forward in the promises of God and what God has done. But it's like wanting to stay in that comfortable place and not having to go back down the mountain. So Peter, again, stands apart from the group. 
And then in John chapter 13, it's the end of Jesus' life, it's the Last Supper, and Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. But Peter doesn't want his feet to be washed, because he wants Jesus to give him a bath. He wants his whole body to be washed. This is a picture of Peter. Don't just wash my feet, he says to Jesus. Wash my head, my hands and head as well. Wash the whole thing. And then he also says, Jesus, I would lay down my life for you. This is Peter. And he says to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. In verse 16, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Watch what Jesus says. He says, feed my lambs. It's not a noun, it's a verb, to feed. Lest we boil down our life with God to some kind of adjective. Life with God, can I tell you, is about verbs. It's about movement. It's about following. It's about obedience. It's about action. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Take care of my sheep. Watch the verb again. Not only to feed, but to tend, to take care. Verse 17, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Again, feed my sheep. Notice, verb, not a noun. It's the same question three times in a row. This is what four-year-olds do. It's the same question. Again and again and again. What is Jesus doing? Why is he asking the same question again and again and again? Why does Jesus drag Peter through this? Can you imagine to be Peter in this moment? The text even says Peter was what? He was hurt. He's hurt by the question. And I don't know that he's just hurt by the question. I think he's hurt by the repetition of the question. Do you love me? And watch it. Do you truly love me? Not just do you love me. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And this is not Jesus the shamer. Don't misunderstand this. I believe this is Jesus the restorer. I believe this is an opportunity for Peter to experience healing, restoration, and grace. Because if you can imagine to be Peter, like in Peter's mind, like, oh, if I ever get an opportunity to stand up for Jesus differently, oh, if I could get another pitch, then I'm going to hit a double off the wall. Another chance. If I, could, if I could retake the test, anybody in the house today had a test you wanted to do again. It would be different. If I could have that conversation again. If I could have the interview tomorrow instead of yesterday. I would do it differently. And Peter has been given an opportunity to receive grace and forgiveness. There's a threefold denial, of course. He denies him three times, and then he's able to commit to him three times. 
So just like a question in the room today, like, is there a moment you would like to do again? Have you ever walked in a season or in an event, in a moment, and you're like, man, I'd, I really would like to do that differently? And I think we could go way back. I don't know. Let's go back to the elementary school playground. Anybody have a moment you'd like to do again? Or we could go, I don't know, how about the high school cafeteria? Anybody have a moment you'd like to do again? Some of you are like, man, you're making me think back always, pal. Or a decision that you made late at night that you're like, in the morning you regret? And what if an aspect of the grace of God is when we are given an opportunity to to face and to own our choices. And what if it's not shame? What if it's not judgment? What if it's grace? When we're given the opportunity to face and own our choices. And can I tell you, like, this is hard. Like, it can be traumatic to face and own the choices that you've made. Like, facing up to ourselves. I brought a scale today. Um, I'm going to do it with my shoes off, just that's how you're supposed to, you know? And, you know, it can be hard, can't it? Not to have a picture of yourself as the way that you would desire yourself to be, but like how things actually are. But can I tell you, when Jesus allows us to get our arms around where we actually are, it's grace. He's not shaming Peter. He's not putting his face in the mistake. He's giving him an opportunity to express his love and his commitment to him. My grandma would be very disappointed if I preached the rest of this with no shoes on in church. And she's 85, and she watches it every weekend, and so I need to put my shoes back on before we continue. Love you, Grandma Irene. In this moment, I just wonder, like, is there something that we need to own in the room? And what is that? What moments in our own life, in our own story, moments of the week, moments of the day, moments of the month, moments of the year, and it's just good time to own some of that. There's an opportunity for a prayer of responsibility. A prayer of responsibility in saying, like God, like, I know that you know what happened. But I need you to know that I know that I was wrong. Because it's one thing for us to know that God knows. We know he does. But it's a different deal to move beyond. I know that you know move toward, I need you to know that I know I was wrong. And I just wonder what things in the room have yet to be owned by us. When we face what is really true of us, it's grace. Why is it grace? Because forgiveness from God is an act of recommissioning. Because what happens after this? What does Jesus say to Peter? 
He says, feed my sheep. Like, tend my lambs. Take care of them. And then again, feed my sheep. So once you fed them, you take care of them. And then you feed them again. And you take care of them again. This is the rhythm of life of discipleship. That we would tend into to feed the family of God. And so I just don't want anyone to be surprised. If Jesus, if you and Jesus share a moment together, after, not after you've had a great victory, not after a season of life that's gone awesome, but after a moment you would like to do again. And he says to you, feed my sheep. He says to you, tend my lambs. He says to you, feed my sheep. And he says to you, hey, like, I have some people that I desperately care about. Oh, and I would love your help in taking care of them. Oh, and, and I know what happened. I was there, by the way. I saw it. I felt it. I, I know it. And the difference between me and you is you keep replaying it in your head. And what I'm trying to get you to do is I'm trying to get you to move beyond what would happen so that you would feed my sheep and take care of my lambs because they're by themselves on a hill. And I'm choosing you. I'm asking you. Like, I really care about these sheep. Would you help me? My arms are full of groceries. Would you help me? I'm trying to dig this flower bed. Would you help me? I'm trying to pick up all of this stuff. Jesus comes to each and every one of us and says, will you help me? Will you feed my sheep and will you tend my lambs? And so often we are still stuck at the last campfire where we denied him, where we distanced ourselves from him. When we said, I don't want anything, I don't even know the guy. But forgiveness is a recommissioning. Let me tell you what happens 34 years after this moment. There's a Roman emperor, and his name's Nero. We're not going to get into it today, but he was naughty. <laughs> and Peter has another moment. Peter has another decision to be made about who he's going to stand with, about if he's going to tend and care for the sheep on the hill or if he's going to think about himself. And he's been desiring another moment, as we all would desire another moment. And he's given one. And that moment leads to his death. Because he stands for Jesus. And so he is crucified upside down. Church tradition tells us. There's like four or five different church historians who all agree about that. That Peter was unwilling to be crucified in the manner that Jesus was crucified, so they crucified him upside down. Just like, think about that for a moment. And that happens because of a recommissioning. And I want to tell you what's very common in church. It's very common in church for People who do what I get to do, people who wear microphones and stand up in front of you, and we love to talk about like victories and cool stories and funny stories, and we don't always do a good job of talking about our own brokenness. 
talking about our own moments where we've blown it, where we've disobeyed, where we've distanced ourselves from God. I'm going to invite the band up as we close this morning. And I've told this story before, but every time I read John chapter 21, I think about this story. It's 2014, and I've been at a National Youth Workers Convention in San Diego, and I get on a plane, and I'm in the middle seat. Gross, right? So I'm in the middle seat. There's a business person to my right, and there's a probably like 19, 20, maybe 21-year-old woman to my left, and she's got a sweatshirt, and it says Santa Barbara on it, and she's crying. And the Lord is like, hey, you need to talk to her. And I'm like, nope. I think it's the business guy you're talking to. I'll tell him. And he's like, no, like, you need to like, say something. And I had this book in my backpack called The Land Between. It's written by a pastor named Jeff Mannion. And it talks about life transitions and how actually the wilderness is a great place for growth. And I just sense that like I'm supposed to give her this book and I'm fighting God on it. I'm fighting him. Because I don't want to do it. If she's crying, she's like texting somebody on the phone, I'm like not looking, I'm just like straight ahead. I'm like, well, I'm like, excuse me, ma'am. You know, I'm calling a 19-year-old ma'am, you know. Excuse me, young lady, right? What am I supposed to do? So the plane takes off, and you know how this is? The Lord doesn't let you go, does he? He's got me by the collar, and I'm fighting him, and I'm fighting him, and I'm fighting him. Like, I don't know, maybe it was something I ate. I'm making all the excuses, right? We've all done this, right? And I wish I could say that I was faithful in the moment. I wish I had an awesome story about how we got an hour out of Minneapolis and I like tapped her on the shoulder and we had this great conversation and now she's a pastor in St. Louis or something like that. But the story is I didn't talk to her. The story is I stayed quiet. And I own that. Like I own stepping on the scale. And what is true in that moment is that I distanced myself from God. And so I'll tell you what I think about every time I see an airplane in the sky. The opportunities we have to follow Jesus again. Because guess what happened after that moment? What happened after that moment was God has continued to give me opportunities to take care of his sheep and his lambs. And a lot of where the power of that comes from was in that moment of failure. And so my assumption in the room today is that if it's true for me, I'm going to take a wild guess and say it's been true for you a moment or two. And I desperately desire to be a person 
out of that experience who will say yes to God. Even when I've had a moment where I said no. That he's good and he's kind and he's faithful enough to say, hey, I know. I know you denied me. I know you distanced yourself from me. I know you pretended that the podcast was more important than what I was asking you to do. I know. I was there. I saw it. Before you were born, I saw it. But I'm asking you to accept the commission that I'm giving you going forward. So make sure you don't sit at the wrong fire, church. Make sure we're seated around the meal that Jesus has given to us. And so for those of you in the place today who have a master's degree in guilt, and have a PhD in beating yourself up, stop sitting at the wrong fire. Because there's sheep on a hill. And God's asking you to help him take care of them because he loves them so much. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.